Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, a public meeting ordered by the Conservancy Court to discuss the Eagle Creek Storage Basin will be held this evening, where Blanchard River Watershed Solutions will once again make their case for the project and attempt to convince detractors. Also this morning, Amazon made a big deal about small business merchants being a big part of the Prime Day promotion. How did those small businesses fare on the platform's biggest sale event of the year? And defining disaster. From record heat in the Pacific Northwest to that building collapse in South Florida, local Red Cross director Todd James explains the complex nature of providing relief and mobilizing in times of crisis. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, June 28, 2021. Getting a new week started. Today is Insurance Awareness Day. <laughs> Insurance Awareness Day. Well, if there's a, any reason to celebrate, that would be it. I mean, are you having a party? I know I am. Insurance Awareness Day. Inviting flow from Progressive. Yeah. International Body Piercing Day. <laughs> International Body Piercing Day. Well, that's what we're going to be doing at our Insurance Awareness Day party. We're going to be getting uh, body piercings. National Tapioca Day. It is Paul Bunyan Day today. And this uh, um, mom, stay-at-home moms will appreciate this. It is Please Take My Children to Work Day. <laughs> Please Take My Children to Work Day day <laughs> so yeah about this time during the uh, summer vacation season all of those stay-at-home moms are uh, probably saying that please take my children to work please take my so uh, it seems that uh, many americans during the height of the pandemic decided it was a good time to a uh, to address a very specific health concern Researchers at the University of Pittsburgh, this is one of the first things you need to know today, and of the most important and buzzworthy stories. We want to make sure we get out here uh, because I found it that interesting. Researchers at the University of Pittsburgh says there was a jump in the sales of ED medication over the past, past year. <laughs> the drug that saw the biggest jump in sales was Tadalafil, which is sold under the brand name Cialis. The uh, finding, it says, the uh, findings of the uh, research study held true even when accounting for other factors such as increased access to pharmacies. They say sales of Cialis, uh, a longer-acting drug that is taken daily to help with uh, more spontaneous adult activity, nearly doubled sales of cialis nearly doubled between february and december of 2020 the lead author of the study dr benjamin davies says changes in sales of ed drugs can indicate important problems and point out issues in people's general well-being uh, people's Bedroom lives contribute to the psychosocial fabric of society, he says. Or, uh, we just found new and exciting ways of keeping ourselves busy at home. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. But 
<laughs> you talk about all the ways the pandemic changed our lives. Sales of Cialis through the roof over the course of the uh, past year. Um, this is speaking of uh, medical news. This is something that it, I'm guessing your kids will probably love to hear. And I'll apologize in advance for putting this out, uh, putting this out there. Um, Brigham and Women's Hospital researchers looked at postmenopausal women and found those who ate about three and a half ounces of milk chocolate either within one hour of waking up or within one hour of going to bed did not gain any weight. In addition, eating apparently when you eat at that time, calories don't count. In addition, eating the chocolate at either of those times was found to influence hunger and appetite, microbiota composition, sleep, and other factors. Also, eating a high intake of chocolate during the morning was actually found to help with fat burning and reduce blood glucose levels. So, in other words, eating chocolate, and this is why I said your kids are going to love to hear this, is the bottom line, eating chocolate for breakfast a good thing <laughs> that's that's what it's that's the takeaway eating chocolate at night could also alter metabolism the following morning study authors note that the study was small and limited further research involving both men and women younger women because this was postmenopausal women they were talking about but again when you know your kids want to have chocolate for uh, breakfast <laughs> they're they're not going to split hairs about who was in this study they're going to Anyway, they say uh, further research involving men and younger females uh, would be needed to confirm the results. But it is uh, kind of interesting, and I'm sure that if you ever wanted an excuse, have chocolate for breakfast. Now you have it right there. So you're welcome. That may be the best news of all to hear on a Monday morning, isn't it? Uh, another day, another instant billionaire. How many times? This is like the third time we have had a story like this in the news over the past week. I think last week it, it happened a couple of times. This time in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, woman woke up one morning to find $50 billion in her bank account. Darren James was alerted to his supposed good fortune by his wife, who called him in a panic about being in a new tax bracket. <laughs> the funds were mysteriously directly deposited into their bank account, and neither Mr. James or his wife have any idea what could have caused it. So they called their bank to get to the bottom of the mystery. Um, obviously, it was an error. I mean, unless... I don't know how many people know someone who could just give away $50 billion. But this was... We've had this in the uh, uh, the news a couple of times of different amounts of just astronomical amounts of money showing up in people's bank accounts. And it's been with Chase Bank, the other two stories. It doesn't give the name of the bank in this particular story. So I don't know if it's another Chase account or whether it was you know, some other bank. But apparently, uh, it's some sort of technical glitch that's going through the system. This is what I this is my understanding is a some sort of technical glitch that has to do with accounts being frozen because there are some issues with um, 
insufficient funds or a hold on some sort of deposit or something. So the best way to to freeze an account is to uh, uh, put it with some astronomical balance and that trips the system and it and it locks that account. And so that's what I am what I'm given to understand that's the issue. So uh, anyway, uh, they called up their bank to get to the bottom of the mystery. Uh, the uh, Mr. James says it was just crazy to see what it looks like because I've never seen that many zeros in my life. <laughs> Fifty billion dollars. Uh, he comes right out and said, "I was not intending to keep it or spend it or you know try and go crazy on this." Uh, the thing that was the most baffling was we don't even know where it could have come from. We don't know anyone with that kind of money. Well, who does? I mean, unless you. Unless you're personal, close personal friends with, uh, I don't know, Jeff Bezos or, um, you know, Warren Buffett or something like that. Of course you don't know where it came from. Bill Gates. I, I don't know Bill Gates. So, yeah. The bank is hard at, <clears throat> excuse me, the bank is hard at work remedying the error, but they did not have an explanation for where the money came from or why it wound up into their account. Mr. James said he'd been able to, had he been able to keep the money, he would use it to bless others. Well, I'm hoping, here's hoping that I would be first in line. <laughs> I get a hold of, I'll put the word out, Mr. Uh, Mr. James of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. If you do get to keep any portion of it and you, <laughs> you know, that would be the thing that I would do. I would call the bank and I'd say, you just let me keep one billion. I'll give you 49 billion back. Just give me one billion. That seems like a reasonable thing. I mean, it's your error. <laughs> right, the least you could do is let me keep some of it. Anyway, if they do let you keep some of it, Mr. James, um, and you indeed want to bless others, let me be the first in line. I'll, <laughs> I'll step, step right up. And here is uh, something really interesting, uh, one of the most uh, buzzworthy stories to, to start the day, and this is actually a, uh, a really handy tip. If you have bird feeders... In your backyard, as many people do, you know, put bird feeders uh, in your backyard, you probably know how resourceful squirrels can be in getting to your bird feeder. And it has uh, been the bane of backyard bird watchers since the beginning of time. But a grandmother in the UK has found a slick way to handle those thieving squirrels. Emphasis on the word slick. Sally Stranix, age 64, <laughs> has been smearing Vaseline on the stand of her bird feeder to stop one particular greedy squirrel from feasting on the food that she leaves out for her winged friends. Uh, the uh, gray squirrel in question had been climbing up the feeder that she keeps in her garden on a daily basis. And she finally had had enough. She said she decided to try smearing Vaseline on the pole <laughs> as a deterrent. And now the persistent bushy-tailed rodent tries to stop by for a snack, slides right back down the pole before it can get to the feeder. So, <laughs> so there you go. If you've been uh, trying to uh, get control of the uh, squirrels and keep them from you know, raiding your bird feeder... You can uh, try that. Smear Vaseline on the uh, on the stand on the pole, the the bird feeder. Not only will it will it keep the uh, rodents away, but it'll give you a, 
a little uh, comedic show there <laughs> at the same time. There you go. Some of the most uh, interesting and buzzworthy stories. The first things you need to know to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Partly sunny today with a chance of showers, a high of 88, a chance of showers tonight, a low of 72. The Highway Patrol is investigating a fatal crash that happened just outside Fostoria in Seneca County. The Highway Patrol says a woman from Fostoria failed to yield at the stop sign at the intersection of State Route 12 and County Road 592, and her car was hit by a truck that was pulling a utility trailer. The woman was taken to Fostoria Community Hospital, where she later died from her injuries. The driver of the truck suffered minor injuries. Get more on the crash on our website. 50 North has renamed its facility as the 50 North Hemminger Center in honor of Jane and Gary Hemminger's contributions to the recent renovation and expansion project. You know, this community is so gracious, and one of those truly committed, passionate stakeholders are the Hemmingers. 50 North Executive Director Carolyn Copas says in 2019, when 50 North embarked on a campaign to expand and improve their facilities, the Hemingers were among the first people to step forward to encourage and support the endeavor. Get more on our website. Republicans in the Ohio House have passed an amendment which would ban transgender athletes from competing on girls' or women's teams. Representative Sarah Crothers of Hamilton says female athletes are at a disadvantage when they have to compete against former males. This amendment is pro-women. It is not anti-LGBTQ. Senate Republicans say they would rather see a standalone bill. Steve Vaughn, ONN. Habitat for Humanity of Finley Hancock County held a double home dedication over the weekend. One of the homes is for Lori Campbell's family, and she spoke at the dedication. It has been such an honor to work alongside such selfless and caring group of volunteers and Habitat staff. God absolutely orchestrated this whole journey after seeing our need and hearing our prayers. The two homes on Harrison Street and Findlay were completed side by side by more than 700 volunteers. The two homes are the first of four homes that will be built this year as Habitat doubles construction this year to help stabilize even more families within the community. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Our cover story this morning, a public meeting, uh, the public meeting ordered by the Conservancy Court to discuss the Eagle Creek Storage Basin is coming up this evening now. Joining us this morning is uh, Dave Blotnick of uh, Blanchard River Watershed Solutions, who will be presenting once again, making their case uh, for the project and uh, attempting to convince uh, detractors. And Dave, thanks very much for uh, dropping by. We Thank you, Chris. So first of all, uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, details here. This meeting is at the uh, old Millstream Center at the uh, fairgrounds uh, this evening, right? Yes, it is. Uh, this is a meeting that was at the request of uh, Judge Routson, mm-hmm. uh, who is a conservancy judge uh, for the uh, Maumee Watershed Conservancy District. He actually is one of the 15 judges here and really was to say, hey, let's bring the community and make sure the community is aware of everything that's going on. And uh this is, it starts at, uh, what, 6.30, I believe? is 6.30, And it's yes. open to the public. So open, open public meeting, yes. Any, anyone and everyone who is interested uh, can uh, can come by. And what, uh, what will you be presenting there? I mean, is there anything new, any new information uh, that, uh, you know, is uh, may come out this evening? You know, honestly, Chris, for us, it's really to 
present what we have been doing all along and really for us is what Blanchard River Watershed Solutions is doing. You know, we, we kind of followed in the footprints of the Mommy Watershed, or the uh, partnership that was initially started in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so a group of businesses that have come together to say, how do we fix this? How do we get something going? So we actually really jumped into this from, you know, Blanchard River Watershed Solutions Group was to, hey, we let's bring the voice of the community and the business together. And, and our goal was to bring everybody together. Let's bring agricultural, business, city, county, everybody together, because this is the only way we're going to fix right. this problem. Right. Um, what's been what's been interesting, this particular part of the uh, of the plan is the part that it still seems is very difficult to give to get everybody on board with. Uh, the uh, the rest of it, it seems like everybody is in agreement on. This one is the is the most difficult is the sticking. Did you know that going in that this was going to be the tough the tough part? Yes, we knew that going in. And what I would say is is you know when we sat down with the agricultural community, we sat down and really kind of came up with four or five tenants of hey, here's what we have to do for flood mitigation that we all agreed on points we agreed on. Whatever we're going to do needs to be as close to Finley as possible. If you're going to do it, it needs to be as small as possible. We can't take people's land. Can't use eminent domain. We have to have people willing to, to uh, you know, willing to sell their land. And last really was put this on property that already floods. Don't take land that's not flooding and do that. So I go back and look and say when we that was the the tenants that we looked at, and I would tell you that we have met every one of those as we've gone on. Now I understand there's still people that don't like it, don't want a basin, and I will tell you the agricultural community was never ever really for a dry basin. Mm-hmm. This was the position we've taken. They say, hey, clean the river. We agree with clean the river, but cleaning the river will not help solve flood mitigation. Yeah. So this I, I was trying to figure out a way to, to word this that doesn't sound as cynical as I'm sure that is, is going to sound. Um, but is this uh, just an exercise to satisfy the uh, the the order of the court this meeting uh, this evening? I mean, again, we're talking about there's really not a whole lot of new information. And I have to wonder, again, we talk about those who are opposed to this part of the project. It seems unlikely that there is going to be anything to come out of this uh, meeting that would change their minds at this point. What I would say is early on, the Conservancy District looked at it and had proposed three basins. We went back and said, we only need one. And, and the one that we're proposing, I mean, again, they had over 3,000 acres. We've got this down to six, 700 acres. You know, I think it is a avenue that will happen and will go forward. We have worked to secure funding for this project. We have worked to secure the land for this project. A lot of things that people didn't, you know, when we first sat down with the Conservancy District, we said, what do you need? What do we need to do? They said, you need land, you need money, and you need willing people. Mm-hmm. I, you know, for the most part, we have that. And, and in all reality, um, we don't necessarily have to go through the Conservancy District to do this if they wanted to do that. So the Conservancy District doesn't need to make this part of the master plan. You go through the master plan and you do that if you're going to assess people. And mm-hmm. right now, if we have the funding for this project, we don't need to assess. And our goal is not to assess. That uh, was uh, one of the things that we brought up with uh, Tim Miley when the uh, Conservancy Court initially tabled uh, this uh, projection. Is the, And he brought up the fact that, that this doesn't actually have to get green-lighted by the Conservancy uh, Court. In fact, you have already uh, acquired uh, the land and uh, you know, or most of the land uh, for this, right? That is correct. So this uh, is going to, in all reality, move forward one way or the other. We would love it to move forward with a group of people that have all come together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, does it move forward? You know, will there be some, it would be far easier to move forward 
as a group effort than trying to do it on our own. But but I agree with you. I think in some way, shape, or form, this will move forward with where we're at today. The, it, it seems like the the main thing that we hear from from the detractors is that this will uh, only uh, only help a certain uh, segment of the population. It's not going to help the population as a whole. It's, it's uh, aimed. Uh, reducing flooding in downtown which not that that's insignificant but it is not something that impacts the community as a whole well chris if you really look at where this is at so there's a lot of talk about hey this is only 15 percent of the watershed and it's actually right. landmass when you talk about that but when you get into the bigger piece of really the water flow and that and the volume so when we took the one of the initial stantec reports back after the 13 14 or actually i think it was the 2017 presentation they did and we dissected that one of the things we found was that eagle creek is almost a third of the water flow coming into a flood. So, and there's people who say, well, this doesn't work all the time. What if it rains on the east and no water's coming in on Eagle Creek? In all reality, then it does work because the water from Eagle Creek's not coming in. The only time we have major, major flooding in downtown Finley is when Eagle, Lye, and Blanchard are all flowing at max capacities into the downtown area. Mm -hmm. So looking at this, there's a lot of properties that have been bought along the floodways, along the Blanchard and others. That, that's all part of this. The roadway work, the thing. So we've tried to bring a comprehensive plan to the table, not just keep it inside the walls of the river. So again, this uh, all is going to be laid out uh, this evening in uh, in this uh, in this meeting. And uh, some of this stuff will actually be new stuff that uh, maybe not necessarily new to you, but for uh, individuals who haven't heard all of the ins and outs and the details, some of what you're talking about here. I would agree. Some of it could be new for some people that yeah. haven't followed, but a lot of the people that are interested in flood mitigation mm -hmm. have followed it. And I will tell you, there's people in the business community that don't follow it because they understand that we have been working on the behalf of the business community. And, and remember, we're not you know, we're not engaged with Stantec. We're not engaged with, we work through the city, the county, who then works with the engineer, who then works with Stantec. So, you know, we throw a lot of ideas out and anybody has that ability to do that. We've taken the opportunity to pull those ideas together, get them to and say, does this work? And they've looked at it and some of those things are brought to the table and some they said, no, they don't work. And so we go back to the drawing table and say, how do they, how do we get something that works and works all the time? So again, the meeting is this evening, 6.30 at the Old Mill Street fairgrounds uh, at the uh, uh, Old Millstream Center at the uh, Hancock County Fairgrounds, which, uh, folks, remember, the fairgrounds itself uh, flooded <laughs> Absolutely, the uh, the big flood of, of 08, so uh, kind of interesting uh, there. But again, then the uh, Conservancy Court will meet on July the 9th, I believe, is the, is the next meeting. That's when you're hoping to get the final approval. Yes, and that's when the plan would be resubmitted by the Maumee Watership Conservancy District to the court. And, and look for a vote on the plan itself at that point in time. All right, we will uh, continue to watch that. And again, the uh, public meeting this evening open to anyone who might be concerned. Dave Blotnick with the uh, Blanchard River Watershed Solutions. Thanks very much for dropping by. Thank you, Chris. Well, you recall that heading into this year's Prime Day event, Amazon made a big deal on this very program uh, about how small business merchants on its platform were a big part of their biggest sales event of the year. In fact, the more than 2 million small and medium-sized companies around the world account for 60% of sales on the site. So how did they make out on Prime Day? 
noted business columnist and author Gene Marks joins us this morning with some insight into the numbers. And Gene, I know when when you say Amazon, most people think of this huge e-commerce behemoth, but the company has made a noteworthy effort uh, over the past couple of years, really, to emphasize the presence of small business sellers on their platform, and that includes their impact on the annual Prime Day event. Yeah, uh, Chris, it's great to speak with you. And, you know, I, I cover a lot of this stuff, you know, in the different places that I write. And, you know, Amazon has always been, you know, something that's definitely newsworthy because of uh, the relationships with small businesses. So, first of all, let's not forget that, you know, small businesses in this country, Chris, they, they employ more than half of the workers in this country. They contribute more than half of this country's gross domestic product. So when, when small businesses are doing well, the American economy is doing well. And Amazon gets that, obviously, because they, they know the impact that small businesses have, not just on their company, but overall to the economy. You know, and so, you know, what, what we've seen is, like you just mentioned, there are 2 million small and mid-sized merchants that sell their products on, on Amazon now, and they generate, you know, 60% of the company's revenues. So Amazon, like, like you had mentioned, they, they take steps to show their support uh, for small businesses. You know, right before Prime Day, which was recently, a couple weeks before Prime Day, they offered like a, a credit, a $10 credit. If people bought something before Prime Day, they could then get a $10 credit to buy from a small merchant on Prime Day. And uh, it generated $1.9 billion in sales mm. just for their small merchants. Yeah. So, I was, you know, again, you know, small businesses are important to them. Yeah, I, I was going to mention uh, the numbers that I saw, saw overall show that Prime Day was the best ever for uh, the platform, even outperforming the Black Friday, Cyber Monday holiday sales weekend. So uh, the question being, did small businesses get their share of that pie? Yeah, and certainly they did. And you can tell by those numbers I just said from that one promotion alone. Yeah. Uh, small businesses did get it. And, you know, remember, you know, although exact numbers haven't been released about the Prime Day this year, whenever you do hear about Amazon sales, keep in mind that 60% of those revenues are going to their small merchants. Yeah. There's a lot of small businesses that are profiting from Amazon. And and how critical is this? I mean, obviously, especially in the wake of the pandemic and how we have seen a huge shift in just consumer patterns over the past 12 to 16 months or so, how critical is e-commerce for small business? You know, listen, I mean, you mentioned you hit the nail on the head with the pandemic. I mean, we were all locked down for, you know, the majority of the pandemic and, and uh, people are buying online a lot. I mean, a lot of us developed personal relationships with our UPS drivers. <laughs> so it was it was a big deal buying online. And, you know, um, in 2020, e-commerce sales increased anywhere from 30 to 45 percent, depending on what report that you read, which is just it's just massive. And, and that's because so many of us are buying online. And, and Chris, that trend is not going to end anytime soon. I mean, we're all used to doing this now. It is going to happen. Even restaurants who had to shut down still, you know, survived because of their online sales and their mm-hmm. delivery services that they did. And it was huge. So when I talk to my clients, I'm in the Philly area. Um, and then when I, when I, I listen to my readers and, and people online, Many of my smartest business owners I talk to are doubling down on their e-commerce strategy because it's become that important. Yeah, this was a, a trend that was in place before the pandemic, but uh, the past year or so has accelerated to that and, and really uh, gotten us to the point of no return. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's exploded. Yeah. And you know, along with that is the explosion of just mobile devices, 
uh, getting online from, from any device, wherever you are. People are used to buying online. They, they, they trust the internet a lot more despite, you know, despite of the security issues. Uh, people are, they're into buying online. Yeah. You have to have a strategy to sell to them. So, uh, from the consumer standpoint, then, uh, for those consumers knowing that this is the way we buy stuff uh, these days, but still wanting to support small businesses, what do you say to consumers who still want to make sure that they support those small businesses that are at the lifeblood of the economy, as you mentioned? Well, the first thing I can say is, you know, go to your go, go to your small merchants and, and buy from them if you can uh, locally. It's very important. Uh, there are a lot of places online that focus on small businesses. Um, one of those is Amazon, of course. I mean, two million small merchants. That's kind of a big, a good place to start. So if you go to Amazon.com forward slash support small, then whatever dollars you're spending on Amazon is going to a small merchant. And if you go to that site, you can even say, listen, if I want to want to direct your money to like a black owned business, to a female owned business, to a business that's in the Toledo area selling on Amazon, you can do that too. So you're just making sure that your money is getting in the hands of a small business, depending on what the criteria it is. So it's amazon.com forward slash support small. It's, that to me is a really good place to start. And then real quickly, what do you say to small business owners who have for the past year sort of kind of limped through this, but are starting to realize just how important this is going to be moving forward? Because as you said, th- this is a trend that is not going to reverse itself anytime soon. Yeah, it's really not. Um, you know, it's, it, it's funny because I, you know, I, I, I talked to um, a lot of business owners now that they're emerging from the pandemic, and um, you know there 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 are a few trends I'm seeing right now. A few things people are doing. Um, number one is that they're doubling down on technology. Um, you know the cost of labor is going up, and finding people is hard. Mm-hmm. So making your existing people as productive as possible is critical. So they're investing in cloud-based applications and collaboration applications to keep people wherever they're located, working from home as productive as possible. So they're upgrading their websites. Technology is a big, big thing this year. Number two is, is um, you know, they've realized that, you know, they, they can't just rely on one audience. They've got to expand their channels. So we've been talking about Amazon, but look, there's a lot of places, Chris, you can sell your stuff, uh, both locally and online. Uh, so you should be setting yourself up on as many online platforms as you can. You can be selling from your own website. Get your products in the hands to as many customers as possible, wherever they happen to be. So, you know, doubling down on technology is one, updating that website, uh, and then also um, having a good, you know, strategy for e-commerce that uh, where you're diversifying and you have a lot of channels. Very, very important. That all all of the above strategy. Uh, Again, uh, noted business columnist and author Gene Marks with us this morning, some insight into the uh, Prime Day uh, event as it relates to small business. Gene, thanks very much for the insight. Chris, I appreciate the time. You take care. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Leading off the broken news this morning, two nude sunbathers <laughs> will, will have to find their wallets uh, to pay uh, a fine uh, for... Uh, well, sunbathing nude was not their problem. It was uh, breaking the COVID-19 protocols. <laughs> they got them into trouble at Royal National Park near Sydney, Australia. 
apparently, uh, these guys were uh, sunbathing nude, and the the problem came up. They were just minding their own business, which would have been fine, except they got spooked by a deer. And <laughs> now I don't know how you get spooked by a deer. You're nude uh, sunbathing, but uh, they got spooked by a deer, and uh, then they they ran off and got lost to the point where they had to call in search and rescue to uh, to find these guys. A police helicopter uh, ended up uh, searching for them for several hours until they were fined. Uh, police issued uh, fines uh, for... Police issued fines, uh, not for the nude sunbathing. That was okay, but apparently uh, they were uh, sunbathing in violation of COVID-19 protocols, and that's what got them into trouble. I don't know. So, nude sunbathing is fine. Just wear a mask. So, and apparently is the uh, moral of the story there in Australia. You know, it's winter in Australia, too. That's the thing. They were nude sunbathing, and uh, apparently the uh, temperature in Sydney uh, the other day when this happened was like 37 degrees. So, <laughs> I don't know if that was really the smartest thing to be doing <clears throat> all the way around. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, a Florida man is facing charges for allegedly attacking a stranger uh, with... Uh, some convenience store items. St. Petersburg police say Latrail Trisalis was wandering around uh, his local 7-Eleven store when he targeted a random customer, reportedly grabbed a 16-ounce jar of Tostitos salsa sauce and uh, threw it at the individual, causing visible swelling and a cut to their back. Uh, Mr. Trisalis then left the store without paying for the choco taco he ate or the salsa that he threw <laughs> in person why he did all of this no one exactly knows uh he was uh, later arrested on charges of battery and petty theft <laughs> i don't know what gets into some people you just bored i suppose <clears throat> need something to do uh, let's see here. This story from uh, South Dakota. Uh, here is a tip. If you ever find yourself running from the police, maybe the best thing to do is not to jump on a tractor and hope it'll speed you away to safety. Uh, one woman found that out the hard way in Henry, South Dakota, uh, Jaden Durick led the Clark County Sheriff's Office on a slow speed chase after she drove off with another person's vehicle who was fuel, fueling up at a gas station. Well, she that was the first part of the chase. She managed uh, police managed to run her off the road after she refused to pull over in the stolen vehicle. And after damaging the car in a ditch, she jumped out and ran off on foot. She was spotted later uh, running off on a stolen John Deere tractor and again refused to listen to police orders until she realized that taking a John Deere onto a highway was probably not the brightest idea and eventually uh, came to a stop. Ms. Uh, Durick was arrested as being held on $20,000 cash bond. She has been charged with grand theft, burglary, and of course, eluding a police officer. Not the best getaway vehicle, there, as it turns out, a John Deere tractor. 
Uh, let's see here. This is kind of weird. Fairly close to home in the broken news. Blendon Township Police. Blendon Township between Westerville and New Albany in suburban Columbus are investigating after two separate reports of underwear being found on car door handles in a local grocery store parking lot. Uh, The incidents happened uh, in the parking lot of the Aldi on Westerville Road. In both instances, ladies' underwear was said to be hanging on the door handles of two cars. Police are asking anyone who sees an undergarment hanging from the door Uh, from a door handle to call them and they would like anyone with information on the incidents to step forward know exactly what that is all about uh, there you go and finally in the broken news this morning a homeowner outside of san francisco will get to keep their flintstones cartoon sculptures outside her home The Palo Alto Daily Post reports that Florence Fang quietly settled a lawsuit with the town of Hillsborough back in April. The city sued her in 2019 after she started putting up uh, sculptures of Flintstones characters all over her yard. Uh, Ms. Fang countersued, saying the city only had a problem with her home's additions because she is Asian. She claimed the city did not go after anyone else for their yard ornaments. The city gave her 125 grand to cover expenses incurred by the Flintstones lawsuit in exchange to drop the discrimination countersuit. <laughs> Who says you can't fight City Hall? There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Today's broken news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock of Hancock County Veterans Services. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Time for your daily download this morning. The numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Um, A recent poll found that there has been a steep decline in men's friendships over the past three decades, really. This is a a phenomenon that has been a long time in coming. New poll from the Survey Center on American Life shows the number of U.S. men who say that they have no close friends rose to 15% in 2021 from just 3% in 1990. Let me go back and, and emphasize this. In 1990, they asked the same question, and only 3% of men said that they had no close friends. In 2021, that number is now 15%. In addition to that, just 15% of men say they have 10 or more close friends. That is a big drop from 40% who said that they had that many friends, close friends, 30 years ago. Female friendships have also declined over the same period of time, but not to the same degree. 11% of women said this year 
that they have 10 or more close friends, down from 17% in 1990, and 10% of women say they have no close friends at all. So we just appear to be more isolated than we have been in the past, and that holds true for both men and women, but men in particular, the drop-off, the number of close friends, uh, has been uh, much more dramatic. Uh, kind of interesting. I don't know what it says about society. I guess you can, you know, interpret those numbers however you like. But uh, uh, interesting numbers in the Survey Center on American Life. I would be interested to see if they did this poll globally, how that would compare to other societies other than just the United States, uh, whether that uh, would hold true in in Europe and you know other countries as well. But Kind of interesting. Todd James with us in the studio this morning. Your call a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were talking about the desperate need of the Red Cross for blood donations. And uh, nation, not just locally, but nationwide, uh, the Red Cross uh, putting out a, a call, a desperate call for uh, volunteers. Want to first of all get an update uh, on that? Uh, has uh, what has been the response? People well, stepped I mean, up, and people are stepping up, but we are still in an urgent need for blood donors across the country. Still seeing uh, a blood shortage, mm-hmm. uh, especially of type O, type O positive, type O negative, which are you know kind of the universal donors, right? But really, all blood types are needed. Uh, and as we continue to head into summer, especially with a holiday weekend coming up, oh, so absolutely. much more travel. Yeah, so we, we are still in uh, a blood emergency, still need folks to please go to redcrossblood.org, make an appointment to give whole blood, to give plasma, to give platelets, whatever you prefer. Um, it's all needed to save lives now more than ever. And there are uh, some uh, blood drives that are coming up here locally, right? Oh, we have them. You know, we have uh, several drives every day just right here in Hancock County and across the entire North Central Ohio chapter, dozens of drives a day, hundreds a week. So it's easy to find one. If you go to redcrossblood.org, all you do is tip, type, nah, type in your zip code, mm-hmm. easy for me to say, right? Uh, and uh, a whole list will pop up. And you also, there, those are the open to the community drives. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of drives uh, that are done, you know, what we would call a closed drive because it's for a specific business or organization. Right. So your business or organization might also be hosting a drive coming up and you'll be able to, to donate there. And uh, certainly, uh, if so, we encourage you, encourage folks to participate in those. And as far as the uh, blood drives, what are the, the rules? Because uh, I know during COVID, there were additional protocols and... Uh, can people still like walk in or you have to make a uh, we we are asking everybody to make an appointment okay. we're still maintaining you know a very safe environment for the blood drives uh if you've had uh, your vaccination if you're fully vaccinated you do not need to wear a mask anymore okay. so that's the number one question we get mm-hmm. we are maintaining social distancing of course we continue to clean stringently we did that even before yeah. um, you know the pandemic but we we institute a very stringent cleaning control so those are still in place and we are asking everybody to make an appointment and we are offering some incentives uh, to say thank you and to help encourage you to find that hour in your day. Uh, if you make an appointment to donate the first week of July, you're going to get a special edition, really cool Red Cross hat. That you're wearing right no, well, now? Well, it's not the I one I'm wearing. But oh, it's it, not the it's one you're not wearing. The, but, okay. and, and so well, I'm, it's radio anyway. It, yeah, exactly. No, it's exactly the one I'm wearing, Chris, just like the one you're seeing <laughs> yeah, on your radio right exactly. now. Um, 
So you can do that. Uh, also then, starting G- uh, July 7th, everybody who uh, goes in to donate uh, from uh, July 7th through the 31st is going to get a $10 Amazon gift card. Right. And for helping us refuel the blood supply during the summer, we're going to give you the chance to win $5,000 a oh, year's wow. worth of gas oh. for the year. Well, so, there you go. Because you know, you got summer travel. It's you help us refuel the blood supply. Maybe we help. can fuel you up for all your summer travels. That so, uh, sounds um, like a deal. Yeah, all that's going on. And, and we have you know some of the tickets, again, uh, we do have uh, free tickets for Cedar Point at certain drives. Uh, again, when you go online to redcrossblood.org, enter the promo code Cedar Point, and it'll tell you what drives specifically those are. Okay. So, Plenty of extra reasons to yeah. give beyond saving lives. Yeah, some perks. Not that saving lives it, isn't enough. Exactly. That's um, number one. By the way, you mentioned uh, asking folks who are not vaccinated. And if you're not vaccinated, you can still give. Yes. Uh, but they ask uh, that you uh, wear, wear a mask. mask. And and please be honest about that. Yes, please. Uh, because, That's for your safety and ours because, and our people. You know, we know that a lot of folks have been fudging that when they go into stores and restaurants and things like that. But again, we're talking about a blood drive. Here. Yeah. Let's, let's, you know, be We've got to make sure. Sure that, that you know it is a safe and stable blood supply for the country. So yes, please Absolutely. do. Uh, also, want to ask about this because I know you have uh, been deployed on a number of uh, disasters mm-hmm. uh, nationwide. And when we talk about the Red Cross response to a disaster, typically we think of things like tornadoes and floods and yeah. earthquakes and you know things uh, of this nature. But the Red Cross is also involved in things like the uh, record heat wave in the Pacific Northwest. Um, yes, very I mean, much it so. It has been, it's like supposed to be 108 degrees in Seattle. Oh, yeah, it was uh, 112 today. in Portland yesterday. Yeah, and and they have not seen, I was I was reading something over the weekend, it said 108 degrees uh, was the forecast for today in Seattle, and it's been, they only have like less than, it's like less than five times in their history yeah. that they have had high temperatures over 100 degrees. It just does not happen there. Their average high this time of year is 73 degrees. Yeah. Ha- half their homes in the Pacific Northwest, I'm going to get into the details here, half the homes in that area don't have air conditioning right. because they so don't this, need it. So this becomes a disaster. Oh, it really, yeah. Think, but I, is this is something like that considered a uh, a disaster in the same sense as a tornado response or a, a you know, something like that in that you mobilize people from all over yes. the country yes yeah we've got we've set up uh and again for something like this we saw coming we had warning for it mm-hmm. so we started planning and putting everything in place last week i got this uh, long email talking about this and a number of other situations across the country yeah uh, but the unprecedented heat wave coming because this at this level yes we would consider this a disaster because this is a threat to life to life right. and so we between the folks that are already in there and and then calling in help from across the country have set up, um, you know, so we could figure we could prepare and and serve uh, as evacuation centers, uh, cooling, cooling centers, centers emergency yeah. shelters for up to 6,000 people a day over the last few days. Today's yeah. supposed to actually be the peak. So yeah. we have our responders there right now set up in some areas, delivering services, and- waiting if needed. Yeah, and and by the way, that's a huge area. I mean, again, normally when you're talking about a, like a disaster response, like a tornado or whatever, there's a, a fairly or yeah. even a hurricane response. There's a fairly localized area. This is like from Northern California all the way up to the Canadian border over to Idaho. Yeah, I mean, this exactly. is a huge area. And involved. so something like this, you know, again, this isn't just and and Chris, you make a great. I could go forever, and I know I can, but you know, this is what. 
we spend so much time planning and preparing for. We're constantly talking because this is such a coordinated effort with yeah. local, state, uh, national, tribal governments, all of our partners in these communities. It takes all of these different yeah. partners working together to make this. So the planning is going on all the time for this. So when it's needed, we can put it in action. Another non-traditional disaster that I know the Red Cross has been involved in is that uh, building collapse in South Florida, just uh, outside of Miami. And helping the first responders, those who are still trying to find survivors, but also the uh, families who were displaced in the part of that building that's still standing that can't stay there now. Yeah, and that, and also whenever you have a, a, a mass casualty incident like this, and and I've had the um, opportunity, but not not the kind of opportunity you look forward to. But right. I've served on right. several of these types. Unfortunately, once you serve on one of these, you kind of become one of the go-to, um, and so you end up getting called for the next one. My last one was was the Dayton shooting. Um, they're tough. I mean, you're yeah. These are tough situations. And uh, our role uh, is, you know, a lot of what we do is behind the scenes. We coordinate, uh, we're coordinating the Family Assistance Center, the -hmm. Family Reunification Center. We've got folks there who have seen those on TV. Yeah. We're taking care of the families, just providing the the food, the care, the comfort. Uh, Of course, a lot of what we do at any disaster, and definitely in this situation, is we have trained disaster mental health counselors who are on scene. Um, So, and in this case, yes, we're also operating an evacuation center center and an emergency shelter for those yeah. who and have, were forced it, from the area the, the, the numbers that i saw i think is like 55 uh, families were in the the remaining part of that tower that did yes. not collapse and then obviously had to find new places it'd be like having 55 house fires all at once well that but also then next door to the tower was a long-term uh, um uh, kind of a vacation or a rental place mm-hmm. had 200 people in it that had to be evacuated yeah so, so it's not just yeah and there's yeah. something like that happens so you're suddenly looking at 255 so, folks that families that need yeah, some place to go the reason i bring all of this up is we hear this in the in on the news and and it's worth noting just how much of a uh a big mobilization this yeah. is even though it's not kind of the traditional type of disaster exactly so again uh, work with and you know and it's the volunteers i can't get you know i can't yeah. get out of here without saying volunteers are needed every day to do this work and also back home you know if we do have volunteers that travel, we've got to make sure that we've got enough people back home to protect us here and help too so please go to redcross.org volunteer if you're interested in disaster response helping at a blood drive helping with our work with the armed forces and military families, whatever it is, there is a spot for you, and we'd love to talk to you. Again, uh, Todd James in the North Central Ohio chapter of the American Red Cross. Uh, thanks very much. For Thank you, Chris. More details on our webpage, go to goodmornings.net. And that puts a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, overdose deaths saw an alarming double-digit spike over the course of the pandemic. The Federal Health Resources and Services Administration is stepping up with a new program as part of a redoubling of effort to combat the resurgent opioid epidemic. We'll tell you more. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, going out and making it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.